consumers are going to increasingly turn to virtual experiences as their first stop to accessing care and managing their health. Just like we all do for many of our other sort of journeys, uh, we start with, with virtual. Hi everyone, and welcome to the next big thing in health where we explore the big ideas that make healthcare work better for everyone. I'm your co-host, Matt Isles. And I'm Laura Evans. We are so happy to have with us two guests on the show today to talk about the digital tools out there to help address mental health and wellness needs. That's right. Scott Heisler, Senior Principal Consultant, Innovation Specialist at Kaiser Permanente, and Dan Trencher, Senior Vice President of Corporate Strategy at Teladoc Health. Guys, thanks for joining us today. We're truly looking forward to our conversation. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Why don't we go ahead and uh, jump right in and uh, just given the topic, I, I know that based on the data that at least I've seen from CDC and other sources from before the pandemic, I believe the numbers were about one in five adults experience mental health issues, but only 45% or so get treatment. With the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, and we know it's affecting everyone, many people will face new or worse mental health problems. How do you think we can encourage people to seek help when it's needed? You know, Matt, I agree with you. And especially with the COVID-19 pandemic, it's even exacerbated it more. Um, when we did our research in our project, uh, we found that actually people want to take ownership of their own care. And um, not only their general health, but also their mental health. What they lack are options. And so what we wanted to do is present more options to them in an easy way to work on their mental health. Um, so what did we do? Um, we found that by creating a formulary of mindfulness and meditation apps, along with cognitive behavioral apps that were conveniently offered by our mental health providers, then our members were led to be more likely to download and actually use these products. And so even though it is a difficult time, we felt that if, if we have these this formulary and if we have an easy way for our clinicians to refer, then they'll have better access to the help they want to get. So let's talk about the role technology plays in that, because obviously we've seen a boom with this um, over the past few years and especially in the past year or so. How is telehealth evolving and changing how people seek out and access mental health and wellness services? Thanks, Laura. Uh, not surprisingly, I, we do see a huge role that technology can play in improving uh, access to mental health care. Uh, for our for our consumers, uh, in fact, uh, you know, according to the National Institute of Mental Health, technology has opened up a, a really a new frontier in mental health support and data collection. Uh, I've been with Teladoc Health for ten years, so a little bit of a grizzled uh, virtual care veteran, um, and we've long said that virtual care democratizes access to care by removing barriers uh, to care, whether those be cost, uh, geography. Um, and of course, now during COVID, people's fear of even getting exposure while um, accessing uh, mental health services. Uh, according to Google, they've seen anywhere from a 300 to 400% increase in searches for virtual care around the globe. So it's not just a US uh, phenomenon. And then as we look at mental health in particular, there's always been the additional challenge around stigma. 
right? And, and mm -hmm. thankfully, some of those barriers around stigma are, I don't know whether they're starting to come down, but they're starting to uh, improve. Uh, but still, that's always been something that's kept people who uh, maybe could benefit from mental health care from, from accessing it. It's an area that technology can really help. Um, and while this is all happening, we're seeing a growing crisis and increased need for mental health care, right? We all know because of social isolation and, and challenges uh, to, uh, to how we've been living our lives, um, it's only become more of a need uh, for, for, for mental health uh, services and making virtual care access through technology that much more important. So specifically on the technology question, um, it, we know that consumers are increasingly expecting healthcare digital experiences to match the rest of their digital lives. Um, and interest in wellness, both physical and mental, was growing before the pandemic, and um, but consumer engagement in virtual care only has grown. Um, we, we like to say with the market accelerated five years in, in just a few months um, last year, and it's only continued to go um, in that direction. And as the outside world became more uh, inaccessible or hard to access. People spent more time at home and took more personal ownership of their health and sought easier access to all sorts of services, including healthcare. And during a recent panel discussion that I was listening to, speakers were unpacking changes in consumer behavior and expectations over the last, the last 18 months. And one of the themes that emerged was how needs drive behaviors and behaviors then drive changes in, in expectations. Um, and what we're now seeing is that fundamental shift in, in consumers' expectations. Uh, the progression that, that how I would describe it is, you know, consumers rapidly adopted virtual care last spring, right, about a year and a half ago, and, and providers as well, right? Um, I think uh, stats I saw over 45% of consumers had tried virtual care by the end of last year. Um, and providers are expecting somewhere a quarter to a third of potential, you know, visits could be done virtually um, on an ongoing basis over time. And, and even more in mental health, most stats point to mental health being one of the most adopted areas around virtual care. And that's caused vir virtual care to be, for many consumers emerging increasingly, the first place they start their, their healthcare journey. Um, and because of that, their expectations about what that experience is going to be like is more like travel, in shopping, in banking, and all sorts of other industries that have become more virtual first. Mm -hmm. And because of that, the market in healthcare, and I think about you know employers and health plans and other purchasers, are now looking and demanding for broader and more seamless virtual care offerings, particularly around mental health, uh, for their for their patients, for their for their members, for their employees. And I guess I'd sort of finish with in the end, well. People are becoming much more comfortable receiving care in virtual settings uh, and through multiple channels. Their priorities, what they care about, hasn't hasn't changed. They still want high mm -hmm. quality, affordable, accessible, you know, convenient care, no matter what the mechanism is uh, for getting it. And ultimately, consumers, regardless of age or health status, expect us to meet them where they are and to engage in a deeper, more longitudinal relationship within their virtual care experience. And that's one of the biggest changes I've seen. Um, in, in, in virtual care um, over the last uh, years. And, and, and I guess I'd wrap up by saying, the good thing is once people try virtual care, they tend to really love it. Um, mm -hmm. And it really tends to, to meet their needs. Um, and I'm glad to see that uh, we've been able to do that uh, for people with mental health care uh, challenges as well.
So Scott, I loved your reference to a formulary of mindfulness and meditation apps. I hadn't heard that uh, phrase used before, but I think it's really important to um, highlight, you know, that this is, you know, very intentional and thoughtful and deliberate. What apps and virtual services exist to support members who are struggling with illness, stress, isolation, and, and how do you think those tools uh, worked during the pandemic? Yeah, Matt, um, we actually currently have six digital healthcare offerings uh, that are available to our members. And uh, three of those products are mindfulness meditation apps, and three are what are known as cognitive behavioral apps. Uh, the mindfulness meditation apps are, are very important, I think, to, to help uh, guide a person in, in understanding the mind-body experience. And, um, and then the cognitive behavioral apps help with using a, a certain technique, cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, to, to understand how there's a mind-body connection. And um, all of those apps are available uh, either through our clinical pathway, uh, Kaiser Permanente, or through uh, three of, two of them are through our self-care pathway. And um, the nice thing about this, since you were talking about uh, tele-technology and, and the whole telehealth is, um, as I referenced earlier, you know, the members want to take care of, of themselves too. They want to have a, 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 a role in their care. And being able to have these apps in a digital format allows them to be able to be used in between sessions. And so they can, they can um, get the, the therapy that, that is needed uh, during a session, but then in between sessions, they can also uh, use those apps to, to um, accelerate their improvement. And we found that during the pandemic, um, of, of course, when they're more isolated, then they gravitated to wanting to use these tools. So it was, it was a nice juxtaposition between um, having uh, tools ready to go and, and then um, people having the need to be able to access them remotely. As we look at sort of the market and how it changed um, and, and how digital health tools and, and mental health helped during the pandemic, I, I guess I'd start by saying, you know, we saw, have seen unbelievable growth in use of uh, our mental health services. So in the last two years, literally 10x plus use of our uh, services. So it really has helped a lot of people uh, over the course of the last uh, 18 months. Uh, we've also done some surveying uh, in this case, in one survey was of a couple thousand US consumers. And one of the really interesting things was 80% of the, of the respondents preferred to have a single unified experience for their mental and physical health. I, I think that's an important factor. Um, that, you know, having been in the industry a long time, the distinction between physical and mental health isn't really a consumer distinction. It's one that, you know, that we in the healthcare system to a certain degree, you know, have uh, created. Um, and consumers want holistic access, you know, care access solutions that meet their personal needs, right? Not, um, I need a, I, I'm thinking about meditation today and I'm thinking about, you know, sleep tomorrow and I'm thinking about stress the next day. That's how we think about it. And, and all those tools are really important. Um, but, you know, where we've tried to head is bringing them together, like you talked about, Scott, into a single experience so that a consumer or a member can meet all their, get all their needs met together. Um, in one place, whether that's therapy or psychiatry or, 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 or sleep or mindfulness and some of the other um, elements of, of uh, you know, improving mental health. Um, just, you know, in terms of the offerings that, that, that we had in the vein, 
Um, we have traditional mental health, telehealth services, right? So access to a national network of therapists and psychiatrists for cognitive behavioral therapy and other types of therapy, as well as psychiatry and medication management. Uh, digital self-management tools um, under the MyStrength name, which is actually how um, uh, you know Kaiser and, and Taladoc uh, work together uh, today. Um, and uh, we've just launched what we're thinking and we're describing as a fully integrated step care model, um, where you're combining uh, the self-management components with um, sort of physician or, or, or provider supported uh, components. So from crisis management, to clinical care like therapy and psychiatry and coaches and coaching and uh, integrated as well as guidance and, and digital programs. And so using intelligent personalization based on the individual need to define a clear path to optimal care drives more engagement and allows us to deliver more care at scale. Um, and I think that that's really where, where we're headed. And I think where more of the market is headed, either through companies coming together or you know, building out more holistic solutions where you're able to have um, a step care model that matches the patient with the most effective and least resources intensive um, treatment you know, initially and then actively guides the members through their resources and tools and le different levels of care uh, based on their progress. Um, and, you know, what's nice is this isn't just a consumer story. We're seeing the needs for comprehensive mental health solutions coming from employers and, and, and health plans such as Kaiser uh, as well. Um, and seeing, you know, the need for comprehensive mental health services as a real top priority. I just saw it in the National Business Group on Health. I've seen in many other sources that it really has gotten to really very high or if not at the top of the list. Um, and that's not just for traditional care, but also um, delivering it in ways that are um, you know, sensitive to equity and, and some of the other uh, elements of um, you know, personalization that uh, come with serving a diverse workforce and, and, and population. Um, so uh, definitely, you know, coming back to the original question, see a pretty wide range of different solutions out there, but it, increasingly more of them coming together into single experiences. I've been using a meditation app forever and it, it's so helpful. I mean, I, it's just wonderful. It's great that you guys have put that out there, you know, and, and as you've mentioned, Dan, and as a lot of people have talked about, the pandemic has really, really taken a toll on mental health. And sadly, over the past year, we've seen a huge increase in opioid overdose deaths. How can the immediacy of telehealth services support people who are struggling with those disorders, Scott? Um, improved access. Mm -hmm. um, the, the work that we did originated with the clinical uh, space within mental health. And the, uh, the tools that, we, that I described earlier were originally uh, thought of as, as uh, to be offered in the specialty area. As soon as the pandemic hit, we, we got calls from family medicine and general practice areas. And so we were able to open up those tools through the same pathways so that people could get my strength. And mm. when we, once we did that, we were able to um, see a, a, a much larger distribution. And so I think it's, it's, it's till the, when it's done well, if you have re reduced barriers and if you have elegant pathways, then, then people will, will use it. And um, that's the beauty of digital if it's done properly. Okay. So I think that's, that's a key piece is, is make it available easy um, and, and make sure the pathways are logical 
and make sure the, 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 the referral comes from a trusted partner, like their clinician. So access isn't always easy, though, and the barriers do exist. And so, Dan, let me ask you this. How should we evaluate the impact of virtual care quality and make sure to track it appropriately to reduce that digital divide instead of widening it? Where There is a digital divide and those barriers do exist. Yeah, great question, Laura. And I'd say one of the things that I, I get most excited about with, with virtual care is the ability to both deliver and demonstrate better, at least as good, if not better outcomes uh, within mental health in, in, in particular. So, you know, one way to address it is, uh, is, you know, integrating in screening tools that allow measurement upfront, you know, how a consumer is doing as they come in, and then continuous measurement over the course of time um, to really track progress. Right, and so what that allows us to see much more than sort of traditional, certainly community out of network, you know, community healthcare, uh, you know, access is uh, how consumers or patients are really doing. You know, how providers are adhering the clinical guidelines, and you can really we looked at it on a on a population basis, on a patient basis, on a provider panel basis, and that's really hard to do and just sort of traditional healthcare delivery, particularly when half the mental health care is sometimes delivered uh, out of network. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things we're also seeing is that um, a beauty of virtual is that it can bring, as I mentioned earlier, mental and medical, traditionally medical you know, offerings together. Um, and so it's, it's well documented that improving uh, a, a patient's mental health can help with comorbid chronic conditions, right? Um, that, that, that's been shown in many studies. And you can, if you look at virtual cares, it has the promise to be able to really see that in action um, and being able to see the positive impact on comorbidities from programs that combine, you know, chronic condition management as well as mental health uh, management. And of course, this is a great area for virtual care companies and, and, and health plans to partner, right? Because we don't have all the data, right? To be able to measure that and health plans do. Um, and so being able to look at that and translate that into value-based virtual care models, I think is really powerful. It's very early days uh, in that, but I'd see that as a trend, certainly um, heading forward. Um, and I'd say in addition to clinical outcomes and cost of care, the other part of the triple aim, of course, is patient experience. Mm -hmm. uh, and here, especially, you can really uh, measure in, in real time, you know, how consumers are interacting with uh, a, a digital, digital tool or, or digital experience and really quickly iterate to improve customer satisfaction in uh, MPS. And to your last point there, Laura, just around the digital divide, um, I, I agree. Um, you know, there's there's always been a risk that um, you know introducing more technology into care delivery can can widen a digital divide. And and certainly, um, as we approach it, we do everything we can to try to have the technology to to narrow it, right? So no one is left behind. Um, and there are many ways to try to attack that. Um, you know, there's, uh, you know, uh, in terms of inclusivity, in terms of uh, making sure to have a wide range of different subspecialties available that would probably not be available, right, to your average consumer in your average uh, community. Um, and, and it can, uh, language barriers, you know, can be addressed um, through um, a virtual care service. And, and it can be as simple as, offering a range of different ways for consumers to access virtual care, right? So we always said, you know, it's not about a video visit per se, that isn't what it's about. That is one method for 
a consumer to interact and, and get care virtually. There's self-management tools, there's phone, there's asynchronous, there are all sorts of other sort mm-hmm. of mechanisms. Um, and thinking, you know, the combination of those can help to avoid creating a digital divide where if you don't have high-speed internet access at home, you can't get access to care. Teladoc Health, the leader in virtual care since 2002, has built the only scalable platform for integrated whole person solutions. A partnership with Teladoc Health helps ensure that health insurance providers, employers, hospitals, and health systems are prepared for the future by supporting the growth of virtual care. To learn about Teladoc Health's perspectives on innovating to ensure access to integrated, virtual, whole person care for everyone, visit teledochealth.com backslash AHIP-2021. Let me, let, me, let me piggyback on something that you said too, Dan, and I'm going to pose this question to you, Scott. You talked about patient experience and we were talking about mental health. Does the virtual aspect of seeing doctors disconnected like that, does it make things worse or does it not help in a, in a mental health setting? Scott, what's your thought about that? We found that the in-person definitely has nuances to it that are important. And, um, but when you, when you look at the trade-offs and the benefits, the driving, the parking, uh, parents having to take their kids and getting off work to go do that, um, people quickly make, make the, uh, the, I wouldn't say the compromise, but they, they make the, the cost-benefit uh, analysis. And as long as the care is there, then I have a feeling, I don't no, have a feeling, I know that it's, it's, it's become a, a supported way to work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think is, uh, the care is key though. If they don't feel like they're getting connected to a professional uh, and if the work is, is done at the level that they expect, then, then they're gonna demand it. And I have a feeling the market will, will define that. So accessibility and the professional care will be drivers for this. Um, but in-person versus video doesn't seem to have mattered that much as long as they're getting value. Sounds like it hasn't. Yeah. I, so a lot of really important, I think, ideas just in both of your last answers around the mental medical connection, the digital divide, how do we bridge um, um, access gaps, whether they be you know geographic or otherwise. We know that one of the biggest uh, pressure points is how do we ensure parity between mental and physical healthcare access and you know having access to a provider in your geography can be one of the biggest barriers so as people become more comfortable with receiving mental health care from telemedicine what do you think that policymakers can do more to increase access to providers and, and maybe dan I'll, I'll let you start with this one Sure, thanks, um, Matt. And, and I'll, I'll start by um, echoing that, you know, I've been in the industry 20 years and so I am excited by the progress that's been made in bringing mental health care benefits to be on par with coverage for medical benefits. But as you, as you pointed out, coverage parity doesn't do any good if consumers can't easily find a convenient, high quality and network mental health provider, right? Um, and so it really becomes then about access and equal access. Um, you know, I, the good news is that um, even prior to the pandemic, um, the, the industry from a regulatory perspective was moving in a positive direction. 
um, in terms of making access easier. Certainly there have been um, uh, uh, changes because of and during the pandemic um, that uh, uh, made it even easier. Um, and we're hoping that some of those, uh, I guess you might call them relaxations of certain rules will stick because we think they're, 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 they're the right answer. Um, so, uh, you know, examples are um, licensure waivers, um, you know, that um, were, uh, or licensure rules that were waived or relaxed um, to allow for providers to more easily deliver care in, area, in other areas you know, geographically. Um, there have been rules around limiting telehealth to, you know, bricks and mortar providers who, you know, who've had a prior in-person visit with a, with a patient. Many of those were relaxed. Uh, and again, that seems to have helped people, um, at, particularly in mental health, where um, much of what we're trying to do is engage people who may have never seen a provider before at all. And they and and they've had and, and so we're bringing new people to the system, right? And so it's important to make that as easy as possible. Uh, I talked earlier about sort of avoiding technology-specific requirements um, that um, you know requires a certain type of modality um, in order to access care. And I think those are at the state level, and, and there are many similar sort of uh, 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 issues um, potentially at the federal level that there, of course, it requires congressional action in, in some cases. But, um, you know, we're, we're pretty um, pleased by, um, you know, the direction that the um, regulatory environment has been moving and, and by uh, what we're sort of generally hearing, maybe the momentum uh, behind keeping some of these uh, um, approaches in place that, that came in because of the public health uh, emergency. Um, you know, one other thing I'd add, it's a little bit wonky, but, um, you know, there was also uh, under the CARES Act, uh, Congress created a, a safe harbor around uh, health, high deductible health plans and NHSAs, which allowed people to uh, access telehealth um, without having to basically pay for it under their deductible. Um, and uh, that, that safe harbor is for, you know, plan years for the rest of this year. So, 1122, then theory that that sort of goes away. And we think that's another um, um, sort of uh, uh, thing that, a, that, that in this case, Congress can do that will, again, create, make, create incentives or make it easier for consumers to access uh, telehealth, which can be more efficient and, 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 and the best option for them. So those are just some examples. Yeah, there's a lot of flexibility I know that we'd like to see continued, you know, down the road, uh, just given how it really has helped the sort of healthcare system evolve much more rapidly and we don't want to go back. So we ask uh, all of our guests one last question and we're so fortunate today to actually have two guests. So we'll get two, <laughs> two answers here. Uh, and maybe Scott, I'll, I'll start with you. So what do you think is the next big thing in healthcare we should be paying attention to? Yeah, well, as far as the mental health piece and regarding telepsychiatry or tele, telehealth in general, I, I think there's going to be a continued blending of traditional care and virtual care. And I think the public will help define those modalities, uh, whether it's in-person, video, real-time chat, chat nice. bot. So I think you're going to see that vertical get extended. Um, and then I think the traditional fee-for-service model will work towards accepting digital therapeutics for payment in some form. So not only will it, will it get more diverse, but um, clinicians will get paid for it. Dan, 
well, I'm going to cheat and maybe give you two uh, next big things. I think that are related and, and a little bit also related to what Scott was talking about. So one is from the consumer side. And, and, and um, I think the consumers are going to increasingly turn to virtual experiences as their first stop to accessing care and managing their health, just like we all do for many of our other sort of journeys. Uh, we start with, with virtual. Um, and I think that's increasingly going to be for full spectrum experiences, right? So less and less downloading 20 different apps for 20 different things, but um, experiences that deliver, you know, a breadth of care and meet a breadth of needs from a trusted source. Um, and I think along with that, um, there's been a concern, and as Scott, you were talking about sort of the blending of virtual and um, in-person, um, there's been a concern that virtual will replace in-person. I just don't think that's what's going to happen. Um, there are countless examples of where digital has grown dramatically. Like if you have music, like, yes, digital music streaming has taken over the world. But, you know, prior to the pandemic, no, live concerts have never done better, right? So there's a place for in-person, there's a place for digital, and the combination of them is really powerful. And I think we're going to see continue to see that working in tandem in healthcare. And then on the flip side, I think healthcare providers are going to increasingly reimagine a virtual first way for them to practice medicine, which is a little bit flipping on its head, right? There's going to be practices that are built around virtual from the ground up, as opposed to how do you add it on later? Um, and I think that's going to be really exciting. Um, so where, you know, care, the default will be virtual and then people come into the office when there's a good reason to come into the office. And I think we're starting to see some of those models, um, you know, and, and experiments around those, but I think there's going to be a lot of activity there as well. Yeah, it's uh, an interesting future. It sort of uh, reminds us of that old TV show, The Jetsons. We're, uh, we're living it now. Uh, pretty amazing stuff. But thanks, Scott and Dan, so much for joining us today. It's really been terrific having you here. Great conversation, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Recognizing the critical role that virtual care plays in the healthcare delivery system, Teladoc Health helps health insurance providers coordinate and deliver care for all members, including their highest risk populations, by providing a front door to care. From chronic condition management to mental health to primary care, Teladoc Health personalizes and integrates whole person care for members. Visit teledochealth.com backslash AHIP-2021 to download our brochure and learn how virtual care is delivering value as the preferred entry point to health. Thanks, Scott and Dan, for joining us today. And we'd also like to thank Dan's organization, Teladoc Health, for serving as the sponsor for season five of The Next Big Thing in Health. If you like what you heard, please follow, leave a review, and tell a friend. You can also sign up for our email list at ahit.org backslash next big thing. Thanks for listening and see you next time.